Hey guys, and welcome to... This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. What was her name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? My name is Maya Hooper, and I am the host of What Was Her Name? Um, This week, I am excited to be speaking to Trevor Hansen. Um, I actually had found him on, I think, Spotify. I started listening to a couple of podcast episodes, and um, now here we are. So, uh, Trevor, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here, Maya. So my name is Trevor. Obviously, we got that covered. But uh, I'm a uh, a licensed associate marriage and family therapist in the state of Utah, and I do a lot of things surrounding relationships and building security in relationships. Also, just kind of building a lot of security within yourself. Um, for those of you who are maybe a bit more. Uh, kind of inclined or a little bit more nerdy on the like the therapy language. I have kind of an attachment focus. So I help people basically create a secure attachment within themselves and within their relationships is a big part of my focus. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. And I like you said, I have a podcast and I do a lot of work on social media. Uh, I'm under the art of healing by Trevor on Instagram and TikTok and all those places. Hmm. So cool. Um, yeah, I think that's amazing. I think I listened to a podcast that was talking about, I want to say it was talking about attachment styles and you also had a guest on, um, her last name was Giles. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had reached out to her actually. Um, cause I was, I was like, just, it was one of the best podcast episodes I think I've heard in a long time. I mm. was like sitting there with my notebook, like just writing so many notes and I was like, oh, <laughs> so good. Um, that's awesome. I always tell people, I'm like, man, the difference between like a podcast and sometimes like a $400 training is just your intention and like the effort that you put behind it. You know, hearing that you're whipping out your notebook. That's what I tell people. I'm like, do that, like do that all the time. There's yeah. so much value out there that's free, but because we think, because it's free, we treat it like it's free. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, and that's why I think like, even, you know, this episode, I think, um, the content like with that, we're going to be focusing on, um, I think it's really helpful because a lot of people, you know, like we were talking previously, um, it's really hard to find like a good therapist. And um, I think for a lot of people listening, you know, they're, they're just so clouded by uh, a lot of the aftermath of leaving an abusive relationship that they don't necessarily know how to create that self-care because they've had to neglect that in their relationship for a long time. And so in order to heal though, in order to cultivate, you have to take care of yourself and um, requires like, you know, mind, body, and spirit and 
taking care of yourself through, I mean, therapy is a huge tool. Um, so for those who don't have time that are saying you don't have time, um, you could pull out your notebook here or get your notes app out and start taking notes. Cause this is going to be an episode where you're going to want to take notes. So talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's get started. So um, Trevor, have you ever had any experiences that have led you to do the work that you do today? Like what has kind of shaped the work that you do today? Yeah. I love that question. So, you know, it's funny because I, I actually didn't start in this world of like doing therapy or mental health or any of that stuff at all. I worked in business. I got a business degree. I uh, started a handful of my own like little little businesses, and along the way, um, I wound up working for Tesla. And I was working in like a finance type role, doing some stuff that I felt like was really cool. And the reason I say that is because I think a big part of at this point in my life, a lot of my own value was coming from this perception that like I had to do something in order to be worthy of love and belonging. And I had a lot of anxiousness about like being enough, I think. And, you know, my role at Tesla made me feel cool. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I I was in college at BYU-Hawaii and uh, I remember I got flown out for the interview and I just like, you know, it, it was, it was, unfortunately, I feel like it was almost cooler for people to see me fly out there for that interview than it was for me to fly out because I was just, I just so longing for that, like that validation and that, and that desire to be loved and such. And, and we can talk more about this idea, but I think it comes from this kind of wounded part of yourself. And we all have these little wounded parts of ourselves that, that they poke their heads up every once in a while and they say, oh my gosh, love is scarce or I'm not lovable, or I'm not enough, and I got to do whatever I can to protect it. And that means maybe, you know, speaking of abuse, we're talking about abuse today, is maybe that looks like staying in an abusive relationship when when maybe you ought to go, but that little scared part of you that was created maybe through childhood says, don't you dare leave, because if you leave, then you're never going to find anybody. This is as good as it gets, or, you know, this is as, as, you know, as worthy as you are, is to have this relationship. And so I think I kind of had a bit of that mentality. And I mentioned that because it leads into this kind of overarching story of how I got here, but I was working for Tesla. And, um, at first I was living in Reno, Nevada, um, you know, as a single guy and as a single guy who doesn't like to drink and party, uh, living in Reno, Nevada, (laughs) was quite literally uh physically a desert but also like socially and relationally a desert i was just, like pretty alone and so i wound up moving to utah where a lot of my friends are and <clears throat> i got a new role at tesla i and i was in that role for about a year and then they shifted a bunch of things within the organization and i got laid off and i was laid off but i was also in the middle of what I did not deem as an abusive relationship until kind of later, I kind of started to see certain things and I was like, wow, that's definitely not okay. Definitely not healthy in a relationship where, you know, and maybe this will be different for your listeners because I I would guess that the majority of your audience is female. Um, And in my case, I think I was with an individual who had suffered a lot of of abuse and challenges in the past, unfortunately. And 
the way that, you know, we sometimes protect ourselves when we have hurt and abuse happened to us in the past is that we wind up, unfortunately, um, maybe, and, and I want to be gentle here because I know that a lot of the audience has suffered abuse and I don't want to sit here and say, well, you're going to turn into the abuser and you're going to turn into this horrible person. That's not the message that I'm saying, but in some cases, um, that the way we cope when we are in our fearful place becomes manipulative. It becomes abusive. It becomes, I think all abuse and manipulation and all of that honestly comes from a place of wounding and not to excuse it and not to say it's okay, but to explain it. And I was kind of on the other end of this. I, I'd never really been in that serious of a relationship. I was planning on, you know, getting married. We had a date set. There was everything but a ring, um, <clears throat> kind of in place at that point. And, um, I, I remember I was so sucked in. I felt like I was almost like addicted to the relationship. I, I was kind of told in, in one way or another that if I was a good guy and I really value being a quote unquote good guy, that's kind of important to me. If I was a good guy, then I would stick around and I would do these things and I would cut off these friends and I'd be willing to basically just sacrifice my own identity, hobbies, interests, and personality on this altar of this relationship uh, mm -hmm. because I needed to be a good guy. And so I I actually went to therapy while I was in the relationship and then continued when the relationship ended. And um, I'm so grateful, uh, A, that it ended, but B, that it even happened, which is kind of weird to say because yeah. through that experience, I, I drew so much meaning and purpose out of it. Like I, I'm in this position right now, like this right now is live me watching that purpose unfold. Mm -hmm. Cause sometimes you're in it and you're like, how can such a horrible thing contain any light or any purpose or any goodness? Um, but then eventually it does. And mm -hmm. you sit down in a place like this and you say, you know, kind of reaching across this, uh, digital void where, I, I hope the people listening maybe feel like I'm right there with them. And if I was, I, I would almost want to grab their hands and encourage them and say, look, right now I'm living in this meaning and purpose. I'm better equipped to serve you. I'm better equipped to serve others. My goodness, I'm better equipped to even serve my own wife. We had a bit of a tragedy in our own family just recently. And because of the, not just because of the therapy, but because of the pain that preceded it, mm -hmm. um, I have been changed for the better. And sure, I went to school and I got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and that's cool. But that stuff's kind of minor. Like that taught me some stuff. It gave me some structure and some organization for the the deep lessons and the wisdom that I think I drew out of this. And so that's kind of my journey in a very small nutshell. I I went back in that place where I had no job. I had no relationship. And a lot of my friendships were destroyed because of the uh, isolating nature of the relationship. My goodness, I hadn't talked to people in a very long time because, you know, in one way or another, I kind of wasn't allowed. If you know, if you're familiar with those types of relationships, you know what I mean, uh, where there's kind of arbitrary rules made out of fear to keep the other person kind of quote unquote safe. And mm -hmm. so, um, and so, I was really in a low spot. And I remember in the beginning, I was, I. I was like just searching for anything because I didn't have anything to do. And I was, I was knocking on doors 
in February for these politicians who are trying to get themselves on the ballot for governor here in Utah. And if they get enough signatures, then they can kind of bypass this particular process. And so I would just go to all the houses of the people that were registered under that particular party and I'd get signatures like, hey, put this guy on the ballot. And I remember it was one day it was 12 degrees. The wind was just blowing like crazy. And it just was so bad. I remember thinking to myself, okay, one foot, the other foot, one foot, the other foot, and just left, right. And I'm going to the next house and I'm knocking. I'm going to the next house and I'm knocking. And I, uh, at that point, I had applied for my master's and I went and got a master's in marriage and family therapy. Because of what I learned, I was able to uh, honestly recognize healthy and secure relationships and overcome my own insecurities that kept me in that you know, I always tell people I was riding a bull in that relationship, but pretending it was a beautiful white horse, uh, because I didn't want to admit that it wasn't healthy because then I'd have to face that scary truth that I felt like was truth that I was going to be alone. I was going to be unloved and this would never turn into anything. But you know, when you, when you get healthy, when you overcome insecurities, you find loving, healthy relationships. And my goodness, I, I can't even describe you how, and I don't just say this. It's funny. People people message me because on Instagram, I show videos of me and my wife doing stuff. And they're like, you guys seem to have this you know, amazing, excellent relationship. Like, is it real? Or you just do that on social media. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, honestly, it's real. Like, it's so, I feel so fortunate. And, and I think a lot of that healing, honestly, yeah, it led me to be a therapist. But a therapist is just a title. I think what it really led me to do is like, be a healer. It led me to this amazing relationship. It led me to the things I've dreamed of playing out. Like my wife's about to have a baby boy. Like these are all the things that I hoped for and I dreamed of. And I, I guess in my work, I hope to instill a sense of hope and a path for people who maybe feel broken because of maybe abuse from a family member early on in their life, or maybe a really abusive relationship uh, or you know, or maybe something that's unexplained where they're like, well, I didn't really have a tra- traumatic experience or traumatic childhood, but I still feel really insecure and hurt. And, and that's okay too. Cause I didn't really have, you know, bad upbringing, but still I walked in with all these insecurities that led me into, um, a really painful relationship. And so I guess I try to come here and say like, Hey, I've kind of been there and mm-hmm. I want to give you a little bit of hope and inspire you in that way. So long answer to your brief question. I hope that wasn't too much. No, no. Yeah. I think I really like to know like where you come from and like what has impacted you to, to come to this point. Um, because I feel like a lot of people who are doing this type of work, um, have had, you know, really dark times where, uh, now they are able to tap into those experiences and they can resonate in a really deep way with other other people's pain. Um, And I know for me, you know, it didn't really help having anybody tell me, you know, I know what you've been through when they have not walked through nearly as close, but I've been fortunate to have a therapist who has had, unfortunately, and a really extreme, you know, history of abuse and his family and in his relationship or yeah. in his life. And he, you know, can relate and resonate in a very deep way, um, which impacts me seeing him on the other side healed and, you know, in a very healthy marriage for the last like 50 years. Oh, um, that's awesome. 
Yeah. So I love to hear it. Um, and okay. Something that you said that I thought was like fascinating and maybe it's just like, it's obvious because it's, if you're, you, I liked how you said, like, I'm not just saying that if you've had like an abusive upbringing, that you're just going to be this abusive person and you're lightly in this, which I think is good. Um, because there can't be like a lot of shame that's tied with like our upbringing. Um, for sure. But I thought it was fascinating because one, like you have experienced an unhealthy relationship, but also you're kind of a partner from the other side who's saying like, this is what I experienced dating somebody else who had gone through abuse because I haven't had that perspective yet on the podcast. And I think it's a really good perspective. And even like for people's, um, you know, spouses or if they're in a relationship like I know they listen to this and so I think it can maybe even help them to kind of feel seen and they're like oh you know like this I do see kind of these same patterns in my own relationship um I wanted to touch back into that for a minute um you said something about when you grow up in those like you know abusive uh upbringings you tend to like carry some of those ways into a relationship because you're just trying to like be safe or like secure. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really creating like, it's like a false sense of safety or security. Yeah. Give me like some examples of how somebody listening could, if they hear that and they're like, oh, that may be me. What are some ways that they could help identify those in their life? Like, yeah. 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 So I think, getting um this can be like a bit of a multi-layered answer so we might stay here for a little while if that's all right yeah um so we look at everyone hears the term like attachment style and i think that's a good place to reference because it's something a lot of people are familiar with and um i i want to reference it because when we grow up we have these experiences that teach our body and our brain that certain things are true, even if maybe they're not so true, or certain experiences are safe or unsafe. And I'll give you a few examples. So let's say on the mild end, we grow up with a mom, and I'll use mom as an example just because moms are so influential, but maybe we grew up with a mom who's highly anxious. And because mom is really anxious, she's not a not able to give us that emotional connection that a little kiddo would need, even from, you know, baby and toddler ages, things like eye contact, touch, you know, connecting, smiling faces, uh, those kind of things that basically are the little signals to those little ones of us that says, hey, I'm here for you. I got you. You're safe and you're connected, which are very important messages because at that point in our lives, well, at every point we need that connection, but it's very much tied to even our physical existence. Like you can't feed yourself. You can't clean yourself. You can't do anything for yourself at that point. And so that connection is, is so crucial, uh, not only from an emotional standpoint, from a physical standpoint, or, you know, maybe you were just in a household with a lot of siblings and there wasn't as much attention to go around. 
again, you didn't get as many of those signals, or maybe you had to kind of prove yourself to be worthy of that attention and that love by getting good grades or doing really well at, you know, your practice or your recital or whatever. And that all of a sudden is when you got that attention, or maybe you got that attention when you did something wrong. And so you, you kind of adapted to, to, uh, cause some trouble because any attention or any, you know, attention basically equals love, um, for, children especially but even as adults and so to qualify for love you said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna get rowdy i'm gonna do things i'm not supposed to because at least i exist to those people who are most important to me and maybe you had a dad who was really really busy with work and he couldn't also give that quite that love or that attention or maybe he felt depressed and the emotional availability was just lacking. And these aren't big earth-shattering events. We're not even talking about abuse yet. Um, we're just talking about being a normal person, having normal, loving parents who happen to also have normal circumstances such as feeling depressed, feeling anxious, or something that draws them away from that real connected place that builds a deep sense of security for a kiddo. And uh, oftentimes to no fault of their own, like, my goodness, you think about people like, I don't know, like immigrants, man, they're just working so freaking hard all the time trying to set up a life for themselves or single parents. Like I have a ton of compassion for where these people come from. And so that's, that's kind of one side. The other side could be much more explicit where there is actual abuse, where there's a much more explicit message that, um, you know, maybe it's not said and maybe it is said, but the the child receives these messages that says, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not enough. People are going to leave me. People are going to reject me. Love is scarce. I have to earn it to have it. You know, all these types of love, these messages that build what we call that insecurity or that insecure attachment, this fear. A lot of times it comes down to fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, and kind of just like fear of like just generally not being enough. If I could kind of label, I guess, three attachment related fears that come from either normal, you know, upbringing or abuse. If you have abuse, they're going to be much more ingrained. Um, if you maybe had a, you know, a mother or a father who was really volatile, uh, you know, maybe a narcissistic type or a, or a borderline personality disorder type, you're going to, um, learn those messages. So what happens is that, that, that little part of you, the little me, I call it that, or the inner child, mm-hmm. um, it grows up with you. And, but it kind of doesn't grow up, but it still is in there. And this is a point of compassion. I think those experiences and the beliefs that you hold because of these early experiences are subconscious beliefs. And sometimes they're very conscious where you truly do think them and you believe them, but there's this part of you, this inner child party that believes these fearful things. And it's, it's a figurative inner child, but it's also a literal one because these are actually ingrained into your nervous system. There are neurons that have wired together that are associated with this fearful, insecure belief. And so you literally have an inner child that lives within you that needs some nurturing, some love and some healing. And and it actually exists there. And as it exists, it will at times when you maybe you're in other relationships or you're, you know, 
in certain situations, it'll kind of whisper and, and try to protect. Usually its main job is to try to protect you. Almost imagine this little kiddo, right? Who has this fear that might not even be, you know, grounded in reality. Like I, I watched this dad and his daughter the other day at Chick-fil-A and she was, she was so upset about leaving because she wanted to keep playing in the playground. And she just goes, dad, if we leave, we're never coming back. (laughs) And he, and he looked at her and, he, and, you know, her fear is very un, unfounded. Like, you will come back. But it's such a it's such a beautiful little fear. Like, of course, of course she feels that way. You know, her concept of what's going on maybe has, has limited experience. She feels really afraid of that. And, you know, you have a little inner child that says, if they leave right now or if they don't text me back, if I get into another relationship, if, if, if maybe they're never coming back or I'm not lovable or whatever. And so that little voice will kind of cry out in different situations um, in your relationships. And I guess I'll, I'll pause there before we keep going. I'm just, I mean, to be honest, I'm just sitting here like, I'm like, do I need to grab my notebook? (laughs) It's just, (laughs) it's just so good. Um, I grew up with someone just a lot, a lot of things, uh, spoken over me that weren't, you know, weren't good. And it wasn't until after I left my abusive marriage that I started to really work through and really wanted to understand like, just like why people behave like this, how I ended up here, like what I didn't see, what I can do to not end up in that again. And I sort of just became this nerd that was like, I'm just so fascinated with this. And like, I've been really fascinated with attachment styles for a while now because I really resonate with the, I just, well, we'll get into that attachment, attachment styles. But like, I heard this concept of like that, that little me. And I was like, oh man, like I, I feel like while like there was a lot of like, you know, manipulation and gaslighting and such like in play within my own marriage, I had to ask myself, like, you know, at what point, why didn't I see that, I guess? And like, why didn't I walk away from it? And I know there's the cycle of abuse and a lot of things tied in there. But I think for me, me personally, me speaking, like having the history I did in my own family impacted the relationships that I like entertained. Yeah. And, um, I think that that cycle could very well just continue for a lot of you listening if we don't like start here where Trevor right. And so I love that you're talking about this. I think it's it's really profound and really important and can be hard for, pe- for people listening, you know, uh, because it may bring up like old memories or, you know, you may have kind of pushed those down because you're kind of trying to compartmentalize with what you have right now. But I do think like you have to kind of like start here. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, and I think to, to kind of kind of circle back onto the point that we started to talk about, we started to talk a little bit also about this connection between, okay, if you have a little me or you have that inner child that has these experiences and it tries to protect you, sometimes it tries to protect you in ways that are that are really ineffective. And, um, and this is where 
this is where I want to be really gentle again, because sometimes that protection can look like manipulation or abuse um, in different ways because it gets so scared. And, you know, maybe you, you, maybe you've even seen this in, in the life of the, the one who has been the perpetrator of abuse in your own lives, you know, not to excuse it, not to say it was right or anything like that, but just to give it some understanding. And sometimes being able to just understand, like I look back on, you know, individuals who have been um, abusive in my life. I look back on that relationship and I feel a lot of, there is a lot of hurt there, but I also, and it, it part of you might hear me say this and say, I never want to feel any of that. Um, but I actually feel a little bit of compassion for this individual, or I look at other people, I watch the news and I hear horrible things that people do. And I go, Oh man, there's a part of my heart that softens. I go, I wonder what they went through that got them there. I wonder how they're protecting themselves. What fearful reality do they live in that's not reality that caused them to think that they need to protect themselves either by hurting someone else, manipulating somebody else, lying, or or whatever else the answer is. That's really unfortunate. And there is a part of me that can hold that compassion, which, you know, you might hear this say, gosh, Trevor, I never want to do that. But unfortunately, the alternative is to sit in in toxic anger and resentment uh, forever. And that's just your only answer. And I don't think that you can, you have to be black and white. Like you don't have to give up your hurt and your anger. They can hold, be held in what we kind of call in therapy land, a dialectic where you're holding two things at once. I can hold this compassion and this understanding but it doesn't mean I have to let people like that come close to me again. I can hold this compassion and this understanding while still knowing that, hey, that was never okay what happened to me. And I can hold this compassion for myself. Let's say maybe in the wake of abuse, I turn to ineffective ways of protecting myself. Maybe you start to get, you know, I think about betrayal. Uh, I work with a lot of couples who have gone through affairs and betrayal. And Oftentimes, the one who's on the wounded side would try to protect themselves or try to control the outcome by being super hyper vigilant, you know, checking the phone, checking the messages, asking the questions, you know, that that almost that interrogation moment where their spouse comes home and it's a few minutes later and it's like, guns out. I need to know where you were at. Let's flip on the light and, you know, smack you in the face with a wet towel or whatever this is like, let's go to the interrogation table. And unfortunately I get, again, I get why that would be the case, right? You're so afraid. You never want anything like that to happen again. It hurts so much, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a delusion. It's a sense of control. That's mm -hmm. not actual control. You start to lose control of your own peace and so being able to to like have compassion for yourself and say, okay, hold on. I know I want to do those things. I know I want to interrogate or be hyper vigilant or, you know, not let people close or whatever the answer is. Of course, it makes sense why I'd want to do that. But is that going to help me? Is that really going to serve me? And usually the answer is no, but it's really, really scary, right? Because you go into this vulnerable place where you could you could get hurt again. And, but what I see is that the more you try to protect yourself in these kind of ineffective ways, the more you end up getting hurt, the more you 
you get into those relationships that aren't healthy for you. I see that over and over again. It's a vicious cycle. And so I guess I'm from a standpoint today of kind of, kind of, um, compassionately calling to, to those who have suffered abuse to, to hold compassion, at least first for yourself and, and for the way you try to protect yourself. Cause you might see these behaviors and go, Oh, that's so ineffective. I can't believe I do that. This is so annoying. I'm, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm just broken because of what I've been through. And that's, that's how it is. And it's like, no, 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 hold on. You have an injured part of you. And it sounds like it might still be might still be bleeding or it might still be limping along, uh, but it doesn't have to stay there forever um, is I guess the tone or the feeling that I have as I even describe these ideas. You can yeah. have compassion for yourself and for others, um, even in the face of really horrible circumstances. What are some like exercises or practices that people can put into play to put a halt to these behaviors, like extending compassion for themselves? Yeah. What else do you recommend? Because I, I personally can relate and resonate with some of the things you're saying. Um, and I'm just curious, like for those listening, like how they can, what kind of exercises they can do, because I think there's, I think it's for many, it's become just like a way of sort of living and protecting that um, it can be really hard to like, is it simply just a matter of saying, okay, like I recognize these behaviors and I'm not going to live in this like space anymore and I'm going yeah. to that compassion or is there things that they can do like whenever these fears come up, yeah. to, you know, kind of conquer them? Yeah, that's great. That's great. <clears throat> so some there's there's a whole lot they can do. And I think we'll kind of just touch the tip of the iceberg today. Yeah. Um, I. I have, I actually have like a, um, I have a seven week live program called the anxious lovers club that is specifically designed to do exactly what we're talking about right now. Soothe these attachment related fears, um, and find a lot of like healing. And I guess I mentioned that because there's, there's a principle here that I think is important. A lot of times you can go to therapy for a long time and it doesn't feel like it works. You still have all of your triggers and your responses and your fears and they don't seem to be going away. And a lot of times it's because you're trying to solve an emotional problem with logic. Yeah. You nobody taught you, sat you down, opened up a book or gave you all these realizations when you were growing up or in your relationship that says, "Hey, uh this is how you need to feel now. You need to feel fearful because of this and this and this." And nobody taught you it. You had emotional experiences that created an impression on your nervous system that then led to the way you're coping now, the fear, the anxiety and all that. And so to heal it, you need emotionally corrective experiences, again, an emotional experience. It's it's not going to be a logical one where you put it all together. And so, for example, I'll give it within the context of a relationship first and then as an individual. Let's go back to the kind of the betrayal um, analogy or a, a situation. Let's say, you know, one partner stepped out on the other one and, and betrayed them. And yet they still have real um, intention on on being together. There's there's a reason why the couple is going to choose to work on it, which, by the way, if you're in that situation, it happens a whole lot. Um, I think culturally we make it sound like that's a one and done. And if that's what it needs to be for you, then okay, that 
that makes total sense. And I'm not saying you're doing it wrong, but I also am saying that there's hope and there's a way to overcome, overcome that at times. Uh, but it does require something. And let's go back to this. What it requires is that emotionally corrective experience. So the emotional experience that was wounded, wounding was the betrayal. And all of a sudden, all these fears, insecurities, and be- negative beliefs about yourself, about your relationship, and maybe even about just the world or or you know a particular gender, like men in general, uh, you know, we start to believe these things. That was written on our nervous system through that emotional experience. And so to correct it, there has to be a healing experience that is safe, that pulls you in the opposite direction. So that looks like your spouse uh, or your partner, whoever is the one that stepped out, um, being willing to be there for your pain every time, being able to gently hold that pain, to understand it, to not just apologize, because apologize is like, okay, that's actually kind of the last step. The first is to be right there in the hurt with you. Go to the darkness. Don't try to get defensive. Don't try to run away. Don't try to explain it. Don't get you know critical or stonewall or all the other things that people can do in the face of facing somebody else's pain or having to take accountability. And don't you know not going to things like shame, like oh I know I'm the worst. I'm so bad. It's like that's not that's not emotionally corrective. That's not healing. So that betraying partner, their job is to to be right there and to be gentle over and over and over again. And it creates new experiences that says this person is safe. They're okay. I'm okay. I'm loved. And on the person who has betrayed their work is to be willing to be vulnerable enough to let that emotional experience happen. Then that can take time. As an individual, this might look like when we're working with our inner child, you know, noticing the inner child's voice through your feelings right? Let's say, you know, you're meeting somebody new after a horrible relationship and you're on a first date and your mind immediately starts telling you that this, this, this dude's a bad dude. He's horrible. He's going to be just like everybody else. He's going to hurt you or, uh, you're not enough. You're going to get rejected. Um, you know, obviously you weren't worthy of love before because you got abused and it's going to say all these things. And that voice, I think sometimes people say like, oh, that's the devil talking to you or something like that. And I go, well, actually, I have a little bit more of a gentle approach to that. I say, that's your inner child. And all it's doing is trying to warn you, say, hey, look out. This is scary. Mm -hmm. And I think even having that conversation, maybe out loud in the car while you're driving to the date, or maybe right there kind of in your mind as you're sitting there you know, having that conversation as if it were an actual child. And if the hurt that you're feeling or the protection you're feeling doesn't come from childhood, it's an earlier version of you. It's an earlier version of the you that you can have compassion for. I'm using child as an example because a lot of times our wounding comes from childhood, but you can imagine that person and, you know, it's like, what kind of conversation would you have with them if you really loved them? Well, maybe you might start by just thanking them. Hey, thank you so much for trying to help me, you know? As opposed to, that's a stupid thought. I can't think that way. That's not going to help me. Get out of here. Or just believing them, right? You have the option of shaming, believing, and just thanking. Well, thank you for helping me, for trying. And then maybe it leads into, but you know what? I don't know if that's true right now. I don't I don't think that's true. Let me hold on to this. Let's stay here for just a minute. I've got this. I'm in control. The current me, the one that's live and in the room today, I'm going to take care of us, okay? 
I'm still going to look out for maybe signs that say we're in trouble, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hold on to them with a tight grip. I'm going to let myself also look out for signs that say we are safe and this is okay. And so why don't we slow down and be curious, little part of me that's so afraid? Okay. And just kind of having that mental conversation, that one where you give reassurance, you give gratitude, and maybe you give a new plan. Like instead of, you know, making up an excuse, bailing on the day early and going home because you feel too overwhelmed by the fear that they're not going to be a good person for you or they're going to be abusive again, give a new plan. Hey, we actually don't need to go home right now. What we can do is we can finish this. We're going to focus on just being present. We're in a public space. We're going to get to know them. We're just going to take one piece at a time. After this date, then we'll kind of decide, do we want to do another? Do we want to go back? But right now, we don't even need to decide that for the next you know, hour or two. We're just going to hang out right here and watch what happens and be curious. Oh, that's a good new plan. That fearful, hurt part of you might look at that plan and go, okay, you know what? That That's all right. I can, I can do that. I can hang on for the next couple hours, right? Or the next couple minutes. Let me, let me do that. Or maybe the inner child goes, you need to impress this person. You know, you're obviously not lovable. So you gotta, you gotta worry about being enough. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can meet that with a, Hey, you know what? I appreciate what you're doing here, but I want to be enough for whoever I find just as I am. So Mm -hmm. we're going to stay genuine. That's what we'll do. We're not going to be impressive. We're going to be genuine because that feels better. Does that feel better to you? Almost like having that conversation inside of you and they can go, okay, that feels pretty good to me too, right? Connecting with truth, giving reassurance, thanking that part of you and having that little conversation creates new emotionally safe experiences where that wounded part gets what it needs emotionally. It gets that attention. It gets that care. It gets that gentleness. The things that it was missing, you are now in charge of giving that to them. And I know it feels unfair. It's like, well, somebody treated me like crap and now I'm the one that's in charge of holding me and repairing me. Right. Unfortunately, the answer, well, I guess in a lot of ways, fortunately, the answer is yes. And I say fortunate because you're in control. You no longer are at the whim of of somebody else, but you are in control of that healing. And, you know, if I were talking to my friend, I'd say, I would hate for you to miss out on the path of healing in the name of fairness and justice, because you know what? Yeah, it's not fair. It's never going to be fair, but it is true that you do have a path to healing and that you do have a way forward and that that path right now looks like you no longer staying the victim and saying somebody needs to save me out of this and saying you know what there's ways that I can save me and I'm going to do it in a way that's healthy not in a way that's trying to control other people lie or, or you know try to impress or or whatever else we do to try and find that control and that safety, but to actually find that control and safety by meeting those unmet emotional needs of the past. So that was a big, big, huge answer. I hope it wasn't overwhelming. No, not at all. Again, I'm just sitting here. Like I'm like, there's so much note-taking to be had right now. Um, I'm going to like re-listen to this and take so many notes. Um, would you say that's like a reparenting? Like, are you reparenting yeah. the child? Yeah, totally. So there, 
and you know, we think about reparenting when we think specifically about like inner child healing, and that's very true. Um, and that's what we're describing, but the same process, um, can be applied to, like I said, a past version of yourself that isn't a child, but it's still that kind of that concept of, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's repartnering. Like I'm your partner now I'm helping you, I'm leading you along and I'm going to be there for you. It's the same kind of concepts. And, um, for those who are a little bit nerdy and, and curious, you know, if I'm just, uh, you know, a quack here. If you look at the research, there's research specifically, the things I'm drawing on today are founded in IFS or interfamily systems. A ton of good research there is involved. Um, a lot of what I'm referencing is emotionally focused therapy, um, which again, tons of good research uh, and specifically EFIT or emotionally focused individual therapy is maybe what we're describing when we're outside of like the couple or the relationship context um, that, and then um, principles from um, lifespan integration, which is a trauma clearing approach. And so if you're like, I like this, where are you drawing this from? EFT, IFS and lifespan integration are where these things are kind of housed and drawn from i i kind of have my own unique approach where i kind of mix the three um into something that i've seen be incredibly healing for for individuals looking to overcome these kind of attachment related fears yeah yeah i think that's um would you say so i do like um this is just to backtrack for a quick sec. I just have a quick question. Um, mm-hmm. like my therapist, he talks about um how like my central nervous system is like I have like a hyperactive central nervous system. And he he yeah. describes it as like, you know, at one point, like my hand was put in the fire and it was on fire and now it's out of that. But anytime it gets close to anything that feels that warmth, you yeah. know, it's sort of sends a signal to my brain that is like, you are not safe. And it's like misfiring in safe situations now. Um, Would you say this is like kind of the same thing? Yeah, totally. Totally. It's uh, we're just kind of conceptualizing it maybe in a different way that Mm -hmm. there's, there's this part of you. And I like to think of it as parts, right? Cause it's kind of hopeful. It's like, Oh, that's not all of me. It's just one part of me. Cause there's a part of me that knows that like, okay, I could get into a safe relationship again. That could happen. Or there's a part of me that believes like, yeah, I mean, someone could love me. Like someone probably will love me, uh, even though there's another part of me that doesn't feel lovable. And so we conceptualize that part kind of as this, you know, inner child or this wounded version of you. And this wounded version of you oftentimes goes to protection, which is maybe like, oh, we feel the warmth. If we kind of go back to your analogy, feels warm. That must mean fire. Let's get out of here. And obviously there's a lot of false and negative beliefs associated with that narrative that that aren't true, right? Warmth doesn't equal fire. Warmth could equal, you know, nice blankets or hot soup or uh, mm-hmm. warm brownies and ice cream, which is one of my favorite things. Um, you know, it could mean so many different things, but that part of you believes it's associated only with fire and danger. And so learning how to really nurture that part of you in a way that feels tangible. Cause sometimes therapy, it's like, it can feel so abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, but this way, when we conceptualize it as a part, it's like, Oh, that part lives in me. I can feel it. I can reference it. I can talk to it. I can find it and help it. 
rather than just this kind of weird, ambiguous cloud of like, oh, my, you know, my healing and I have to approach my healing and how, what, what does that even mean? And so I, I love the, the parts idea, but yes, it definitely is related to that same concept. And really we're talking about a concept of trauma, um, trauma attachment. They're all, you know, a lot of people have not referenced what we're talking about attachment theory, um, as a trauma-based theory. I a hundred percent believe it's a trauma-based theory. fully, um, which obviously we're illustrating that today and what we're, what we're doing right now. And so working with somebody who's, who's informed and working with trauma, um, is so fundamental to, to healing from either early childhood experiences or these relationship experiences. Yeah. I really liked what you said about like the warm brownies and ice cream. Um, because I feel like I've only ever really tied it. Like we've talked um, in a few episodes about like uh, our nervous system. And that's like something we've, we've talked about a couple of times and just kind of, you know, uh, how it's misfiring in safe situations. But I've always like thought about it in the concept of like, you know, okay, fire was a bad thing. Like, and so anything that, that feels warm, I contribute that to like something that is like, you know, dangerous, but right. there's also warmth that is good right? Like I campfire and like making s'mores, like totally thing. And so like reminding my own brain, like, okay, like warmth doesn't necessarily just mean bad. Like, you know, think about like the candle or the brownies and ice s'mores. And so I love that. Like that really helps even me just to kind of like reshape a little bit in my head. Um, what would you say, um, to people listening who feel like they don't have time to like, cause this is, I mean, I think this is very, I think it, it goes very deep. Like what we're talking about right now, it does yeah. take effort to be able to, you know, be gentle with yourself and to, uh, hold yourself kind of, you know, and in, into this space of like, okay, like I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to like, um, notice what I'm feeling, speak to myself, tell myself I'm safe. Like it just takes a lot of effort. I feel like for a lot of people who are listening, they may, be like, I just don't have time for this. Like what, what happens if you don't work through these things over time and what can, how can that like affect, you know, like your relationships or like just life in general? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the first question that comes to my mind is to ask like, what, when we think about allocating our time, we think about what's important and what's urgent. Mm. And those are usually the two two qualifiers or maybe they kind of maybe they kind of ought to be. We don't necessarily, you know, schedule out time like that. I know I don't. Sometimes I'm doing things that are fully a waste of my time and I I'm definitely not <laughs> being urgent, you know, picking what's urgent and what's important. Uh, but I go, what else in your life is this urgent or important? And, you know, I can hear the protest immediately, like, you know, taking care of my kids or, you know, really important things. And I'm not saying you got to give those things up, but I go, okay, how is this healing taking care of your kids? Oh man, that's a big deal. Like when you're healed, you're going to show up as that emotionally available, connected parent, right? If you're stuck in your trauma, maybe you're not going to be able to have that eye contact and that touch and that that real sense of safety and that warmth that, that that kiddo needs. And maybe by taking care of you, 
you know, I'm almost imagining a mom. I'm saying, Hey, maybe take taking, taking care of you, mom, you wind up taking care of, of him or her or whoever is on the other side of that, that little kiddo. And you will, you will spend a whole lot more time in ineffective patterns, painful relationships, and more hurt if you do not take the time to heal this now. And I know that kind of sounds like a scary, like I'm holding this over your head and almost like a, like a threat. And I hope it doesn't sound like that, but I, I, I see it play out in the lives of my clients. I've got, you know, I've got clients who are so afraid to say no to a relationship that logically they know is not good. Maybe somebody just came off of a divorce and, you know, they're really broken up and they, and they're like going, well, even though they came off a divorce and everything's really hard, like they like me and I want to be close to them. Okay. But that probably doesn't sound like it's a too good of a spot to be in. Or maybe they see certain signs in them that says, oh my gosh, this might lead me back into that same pattern that I get into over and over again. And you know what they're afraid of? They're afraid of time. They're afraid of that time of loneliness, not having somebody. They want to rush the process. I don't have time. I need to just be with this person. I need to make it happen. And so they, you know, they latch on, they they cling on and they ride that bull thinking that it's a white stallion. And then at the end of the day, they've wasted all their time in another relationship that doesn't serve them. And then they find themselves being lonely again, which only reinforces the negative belief that says, <clears throat> I'm never going to find somebody. Everyone's like this, you know, this bad way and I'm not lovable. And so you wind up reinforcing negative beliefs, wasting time and truly um, undermining the things that are currently in your life that are meaningful and good, such as, you know, raising kids or whatever else you wind up undermining that stuff. If you choose not to take the time or another one is to invest, right? I spent a lot of money on my own healing. I'm not going to lie. I went to a lot of therapy. I did a lot of cash pay therapy. I did programs. I did groups. I did a lot of stuff because I just wanted to invest in myself. Hands down, best investment that I've ever made. And I've made some good ones in my life. And mm-hmm. it is 100% one that I will never, ever regret. Not a not a dime. And does it mean that every single you know therapy session or every program or group was like a home run? No. Some of them were like, well, that was okay. I didn't get a ton out of that. But it's the culminating compounding effect of that investment um, and that time that I spent there. And I mean, I'm getting a little bit on a tangent here, but I also, this comes from a place of kind of, instead of seeing it as drudgery as well, like, oh, I have to spend my time this way. What, what, a, what What's a more exciting an important quest that you could take on. I think in these days we long for excitement and an adventure and and a quest, and you know we get it kind of substitute in a hollow way by watching people do cool things on Instagram or TikTok or whatever else, and we we long for that. But we go to work and it's kind of the same thing every day, and it kind of feels mundane and it hurts to almost live in that world that feels kind of just gray because you're just doing the same thing every day and it lacks purpose. And I go, my goodness, if you feel like that at all, there is an adventure that is before you, which is the adventure of your own mind, the adventure of your own healing. Space is not the last frontier. We've been there and you know we can continue to go there, but really the last frontier and the kind of the most 
epic adventure to go on is the one of your own journey, your own healing, facing your own shadows, shadows and overcoming those things that hold you down. And that is a quest that only you can take. You know, you think about any hero's journey and it's like, this is the chosen one, the one who will do all things. We got Harry Potter. We got, you know, Jesus Christ. We've got all the archetypical hero is the chosen one who they are the only one who can complete that mission. And right now, you are the only one who can complete this mission that is so impactful, that will be impactful not only for you, but generations to come. My healing, man, I'm so grateful I did it. My little baby boy, he's inside of mama right now, cooking away. He's going to come in November and he's Mm -hmm. about to pop out. And I think I'm so grateful that I went on that journey because he will benefit and the people that come after him will benefit forever. And so I guess I'm getting a bit on my soapbox on that one, but no, 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 um, no. it's so important to me. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think it can be really, you know, you said something a little bit earlier about how um, you're like, oh, like, okay, these things happened to me and now I have to do the work to heal them. But like, I didn't cause this pain. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah you know, like, unfortunately, but fortunately you mm-hmm. get to, you know, you have to put in the work to to heal these areas, but you also have this like profound way of like unlearning the things that need to be unlearned and like relearning them in a way that is like going to shape a healthy future and a healthy self for yourself and a healthy parent for your child as well. Um, yeah. Then cultivates a secure attachment for them as kids. And so um, I think, you know, I, I love how this whole thing is intertwined with like, okay, like speaking compassionately to yourself and instead of having this mindset of like oh okay not like not another I'm triggered again or like oh like I'm I'm, you know I'm just so afraid I just I'm too afraid I just I'm gonna just you know be alone forever um and just having this kind of like negative concept I know like for me like um I got really frustrated in the healing because I was like getting really frustrated with the way that uh you know, my mind kept reverting back and I had to like, I had to keep like, you know, day after day after day, like actively, um, you know, being aware of like where my mind was going and in order to cultivate like a healthy life and to heal the things I needed to heal, it wasn't just like a one and done. It wasn't just like one time. I just like spoke gently to myself and, um, it, it, it is like a consistent thing that I've had to do and I'm continuing to do. And, um, you know, I think it ties into like not having, you know, this victim mentality where it's like, well, my life's always going to be like this or nobody's ever going to love me. Um, or, you know, I'm just unlovable because I was abused. And so it's just going to like continue to happen. But I think it's interesting how that compassion is tied into it for me, because, I think in order to like cultivate a life and in order to cultivate a healthy life, there needs to be that compassion. And I know for a lot of people listening, they are like mid smack in, you know, custody battles or they are having to continually, you know, like kind of stand their ground about what happened to them. And um, it's really difficult because I think a lot of them want to cultivate a healthy life and they don't want this to happen again but they don't know how to do that. And they end up getting really frustrated in that process. And it's kind of just all intertwined together of like taking that moment to like recognize, you know, like 
my self-care is important. This is something that the way that I work through this trauma and the way that I, you know, cultivate healthier ways of speaking to myself and talking to that inner child in turn is going to help me cultivate a healthy life. And it's all really intertwined together and it's work. It takes time. And yeah, it's hard because you didn't necessarily do this to yourself, but I think um, there's something really profound in like going through something really hard and really messy and kind of allowing for yourself to crumble. And in that, like being able to like meet yourself right where you are in that space. And um, I think what becomes from that can be really beautiful, but it's like in our hands, like what we choose to do with that. And I, I know for me, like I've always said, like, you know, I know like this type of like awareness just wasn't around for like my grandparents and they just like, didn't have this type of therapy. They didn't totally know these things. And I see them now and I'm like, you know, they didn't ever work through these things. And they're kind of just like some of my grandparents are just kind of, you know, a little bitter and like resentful and they kind of just didn't really cultivate the life that they wanted to cultivate. And I think a lot of that ties into the fact that they didn't really have the tools to do that. And so they didn't know how, and I'm like, how fortunate are we to like be able to talk about all these like attachment styles and like be able to work through inner child, like, cause this wasn't around like for my, no. my grandparents, you know, honestly, even for our parents, um, you think about, you know, it, it's, it's shocking when I was in my master's program, I realized this, that a lot of the founders of the models that we were learning, they're literally still alive. Like they're alive. Like I'm, I'm about to interview, uh, Sue Johnson, who she's the founder of, uh, emotionally focused therapy, the leading approach for like attachment, building secure attachment. Um, I'm about to interview her on my podcast and she created this theory. And so we think about it like, even even our parents didn't have this accessible to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 amazing, and I think again that builds some compassion. Like we look back at these memories and we go, "Man, you know, maybe mom or dad were they were caught in their own protection, their own their own uh, brokenness. Maybe that's why they didn't they didn't quite treat me like they ought to. You know, uh, they tr- ought to treat a child. And again, not to excuse them, but to understand them, because mm-hmm. um, I think in that it can help us to let go of that resentment. Cause man, I, I hate feeling resentment. I hate feeling that anger. It's an important part of, you know, grieving, but getting stuck there. <clears throat> it's so uncomfortable. We, uh, you know, kind of on a personal note, my, my, uh, my little dog, his name's Frank. And this last week he actually passed away. He's yeah. only a year and a half old yeah. and he is so important to our family. My wife is really, really pregnant and super, super sick. I guess I, when I say really, really pregnant, I mean, really, really sick yeah. and constantly sick. And he's always with her. Um, and when he, he's passed and I felt moments of just being so mad and of course I'm going to feel that. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's funny. Cause even my wife, the other day, she goes, oh, I'm feeling the anger and I don't like this. Like, Oh, this is the wor- one of the worst ones. I'd rather almost feel the hurt. And and I think if I come back to this, it's like, you're going to feel anger in your grieving process. Maybe you grieve over a lost relationship or a, or a, or a bad childhood. Um, and you will feel that anger. Um, but being able to hold it, maybe a space of understanding and a bit of compassion, kind of validating and understanding why this person 
reacted in the way that they did or behaved in the way that they did can a give a little bit of give a little bit of closure because there's probably a part of your mind that goes how does this make any sense this doesn't make any sense and i'm so mad and it can maybe also help you to soften the anger and again 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 i always repeat this doesn't make it right doesn't make it okay but sometimes it can make it so that you can hold on to the experience mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel so so jarring, chaotic, or corrosive as you remember those those memories. And I think, you know, um, a lot of times, like, it's like, in order to survive, like, those toxic environments, like, specifically, like, I'm talking about, like, in, you know, abusive marriages, like, or dating um, yeah. relationships, like, um, I know for me, like in order to cope and to like stay out um, because I mean, like, you know, that trauma bond is so real and like having to um, remove yourself from that relationship and then stay out is extremely hard that I know that I was fueled on, um, I was fueled on anger and I was fueled on like just being so angry, I think, because there was compassion in the relationship, which is, was like, sickly tied into the manipulation but like now that I'm like out and I'm safe and I know I'm never going to return to that it's like this process of like allowing your myself to grieve and and to be like okay like I can extend that compassion while knowing that like I will never let him treat me like that again and I will never like be in an abusive relationship I don't know if that makes sense but I just think that's I know that a lot of people listening they had to kind of hold on to this like bitterness and resentment and anger in order to like leave and in order to stay yeah. out. And then yeah. like, I think there comes a point where there is this releasing where it's like, you're allowed to release that and yeah. to, to like lay down your weapons. You are safe. Mm. You are not going back there and you can extend compassion while also holding that boundary that you are never going to return there again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important note to make is that, you know, sometimes that anger, that resentment, um, it acts as, as a barrier and a warning sign when you do want to go back. My goodness, I went back and rode that bull, you know, back in that relationship many times. It went on for so long of, you know, oh, it's over. It's not over. It's over. It's not over. And that's probably sounds familiar to a lot of people listening. And, you know, it's funny. I, I actually had a list of all of these things that had happened in the relationship that were not good to help remind myself not to go back. Mm -hmm. It was a big long list because there was still a part of me, maybe that inner child part of me that says, Oh, Trevor, but you were, you were loved. (laughs) Mm. No, I I really kind of wasn't in a lot of ways, but, but you were loved and, and well, and I actually, again, from a compassionate standpoint, I think, you know, in those kind of relationships, even if they treat you poorly, they can actually love you. They just don't have the capacity to provide love for you in a way that's healthy. And so that little inner child part says, go back, you know, that's, that's a, that feels like a guaranteed ticket. You're not going to find that again, all those negative beliefs and it might want you to draw in. But, you know, there came a time where I didn't read that list anymore, um, from a curious therapist standpoint, I kept it so I could look at it and go, huh, what was going on there? And just learn from things. But, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't serve the purpose of, you know, building that anger or building that resentment and that motive, that momentum away from the relationship that there's, there does come a point where your healing transitions 
into a peaceful acceptance place. Um, but it doesn't mean that the that the anger is not an important part of that process, which I think some people can feel a lot of shame, especially if they've been maybe taught like, you know, maybe they grew up in like a religious home where or something like that, where like anger was was brought with like a lot of shame. Like, oh, you can't be angry at anybody, you know, that's not okay. Um, it can bring up a lot of shame to feel that anger, but allowing yourself to have that anger, I think is an important part of the process, but it's definitely not the end and destination because that would be pretty exhausting and and not very exciting <laughs> if that was the end of the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm just like, I'm, I don't know. I'm so moved by this episode. Like I, <clears throat> it's always interesting how like I'm sitting here and like, I don't know how much you know about like uh, the podcast, but I used to do like stories. It was just stories. And oh. then it got to a point where like, I couldn't, I didn't have a good boundary with like the work that I was doing in hearing the stories and then like my own personal life. So it was like bleeding into that. So I had to stop that for a while. And I got to this point where I was like, do I just need to take like a full halt from the podcast in general? And I was praying about it. And I really felt like compelled to transition into, you know, the equipping and for people to leave this and for myself to leave this not feeling triggered, but instead feeling like equipped. And, um, so I just, I set this up for others who are listening. Um, but then like, it's always just so cool how like I get to sit here and like, listen to, um, you know, you're, you are incredible. Like you have just like so much wisdom and knowledge and I'm sitting here and I'm like, wow, like, I'm so glad that I transitioned into this type of panel this season because Mm. I don't feel triggered. Like I feel equipped and I just have so many things that like my mind is just going in so many different directions right now. And I'm like, huh, maybe that's why I do that. Or huh, like like, talk to myself like this. And I just, I love it. Cause I know that if I feel like this, other people are going to also be just so impacted by this episode, which makes me so excited because it's growth. And um, I know there's a lot of people here who they just want to learn and they just want to like sort through everything so that they can, you know, not need, like not be in this mindset forever. Um, we didn't necessarily, I know we're like, we're kind of pressed on time now, but we didn't really talk totally about anxious attachment. We did, but we didn't, did we go through like a secure and anxious attachment? Well, not, we didn't necessarily define them, but, um, for those who are listening, basically what we've been describing that kind of that fearful inner voice that tells you, you know, certain things are true or not true about love and your own ability to be loved. And that you're not, you know, that one that says there's a fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, and you're not enough. That, that is, that is kind of what we deem as like a insecure attachment. And it's not a mental health diagnosis. It's just kind of a category to help you keep track of like, okay, maybe that's a little bit of where I am. Um, and most people lean, you know, in coping with that, they'll lean one of two ways. One that's a bit more outwardly anxious and pursuant where maybe they'll get clingy in relationships or they won't set boundaries because they don't want people to leave that kind of stuff. Others are a bit more avoidant and, uh, women tend to be more on the anxious side and men tend to be on the avoidant side, but really at the heart of it, they have the same exact fears, the fears of abandonment, rejection, and not being good enough. And the avoidant type will do more of like shutting down. I don't know what to say. This is too much. So I'm going to try to minimize the risk of damage by, by shutting down, pulling away, um, you know, 
or not trying in a dating sense, like, oh, I'm not even going to try. Like, they're not going to like me. They're not going to love me, whatever. Or I'm going to go really shy and just let them talk the whole time so that, so that, you know, I don't show that I'm not good enough, those kind of things. And then the secure attachment is someone who, who believes that they are good enough, that they're worthy of love and belonging. They feel a sense of confidence. They kind of accept the fact that not everyone is going to be right for them and that that's okay. And that there's just not the driving force of, of fear of either rejection, you know, uh, abandonment or not being good enough. And they're able to self-soothe. They're able to be present and genuine because they feel feel a bit more just kind of safe and confident in relationships. It doesn't mean that they naively believe that every relationship is going to be, you know, blissful and wonderful. Um, they actually accept the fact that not every relationship will be that way. And they're kind of at peace with that. And so those are, I guess, if we were to describe them. And what we've talked about today so far is moving from anxious and insecure towards security through self-compassion, uh, some of those inner dialogues with the self, being able to you know, notice your feelings of protection and moving not towards protection, but towards you know, filling your own needs, uh, taking care of yourself, that, that kind of work. Um, that's what we've been describing today. Yeah. I think it's, um, there's just so much, so many like little gold nuggets in here. And I'm just like really grateful. I feel like you said something earlier. You were like, yeah, like, you know, when you go into therapy and you've been doing therapy, but you don't really feel like anything's really changing in your life. Like I loved how you talked, this is like off topic, but I just was thinking about this, how you're like, that's because like an experience is needs to be met with another experience where like you feel safe. Uh. And, um, I'm currently like for the last year have been in a relationship with somebody who like is safe and who is like steady and consistent. And, um, I think it's interesting because I always wondered like, okay, well, I'm just like doing all the therapy, doing all the work, but I do think there's only like some healing that is done with an individual. I don't know if you agree with that. I think some people don't, but like, I just think personally that only some areas of healing can be done with somebody else. And that yeah. else needs to be somebody who is able to be patient. Um, yeah. It's hard. And yeah. Um, he's definitely not, you know, been perfect. It's been hard and I've been very messy and I really had to learn, you know, a lot of the things you're saying, my therapist and I have been working on, um, because of, you know, I can really a bit with, you know, that kind of like negative, not negative, but going through abuse at, at a young age and then an abusive marriage, you know, I was just coping the best way that I knew how, and those ways weren't healthy and, um, having to unlearn those for my partner who is steady and who is safe, but in having a safe partner, I think I was met with those experiences and it started to really, I was able to do that work with somebody else. And it, I mean, it changed pieces of me forever. Um, so, but do you have, Yeah, I don't know. I, I apologize. My little Alexa on my table decided she wanted to uh, talk in the middle of you talking. So <laughs> she wants to join. So, Alexa's part of the podcast today as a guest speaker, but um, yes, yeah, she's been here the whole time. <laughs> no, I I appreciate what you're saying, and that's that's so true. I think being able to find healing, um, you know, these are attachment related injuries, and so 
they need to be healed within the context of some sort of attachment. And sometimes that just means you and your therapist kind of as a, a pseudo attachment figure. Uh, and sometimes that means you and you, you helping yourself. Um, and sometimes that means within the context of a relationship. And that's why a lot of my work, I try to involve some sort of relational element to what I do, even if, even if, you know, you are single trying to, trying to involve other people who are safe, loving, and accessible. Um, um, I did mention earlier, which is called the Anxious Lovers Club, and it's a seven-week program with seven live calls, and each of the live calls are also recorded, so if you can't make it live, that's okay. But it's a community of individuals who are on this same journey, healing and looking to increase a sense of security, confidence, and overcome this what we've kind of described as this anxious attachment. And my goal is to lead people through emotionally corrective experiences each week on the calls. That's what's different about this. There's nothing else really in the world like it as far as I've been able to find. Um, and it's because it's not just, you know, here's a bunch of cool ideas, but it's really this emotional experience. And then I provide kind of these challenges or these opportunities to go deeper with the things that we learn on the calls or the experiences that you have on the calls to go deeper and and continue that experience and expand upon it and then have the emotional experience of sharing it with the community if you so choose um, you know kind of writing up a little journal entry or kind of commenting on somebody else's uh, entry that they shared about their experience doing this work and it it's so cool i can't even describe it to you i've got I've got people, you know, in the comments saying, I feel like we're a family. This is, you know, this one sweet girl at the end, uh, we were kind of sharing what we learned from this. And she goes, I watched the recording of the first call and I looked so sad. And she says, I don't even know who that is anymore. Like, I don't feel like I'm her. I feel so different. And it was just so impactful to hear those kinds of words. And so that's, that's one option. Um, this club goes live, um, Again, it went live for the first time earlier this year, but it does it does happen again on August 31st. Um, and so this may or may not air before that date, but there we will do it again in the future. I don't exactly know when. So that's that's one incredible option. Um, I cap the the cohort at 50 people um, and about half of those spots are full right now. Um, and then another one is that, me and members of my team, people that I've hired to work for me, are all trained in specifically the things that we've been talking about today. And um, we we are taking some new new clients. So if you're like, I want to go work with somebody, I need a good therapist or coach, but I don't know where to go, uh, we'd absolutely love to be part of this and love to help you. Mm. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think um, I think you know it's it's really hard, like I said, to find. Um, to find a solid therapist. I think also like, I mean, I have learned so much just in like this one sitting that I'm just, um, I can only imagine like working alongside you or like doing these, um, these other things you've mentioned. And so I, I definitely like, um, I don't know. I'd love to get like all of the links or like, you can just, we can put yeah. them in the show notes if you want to send them to me for those who are interested. And then again, um, you can find Trevor at the art of healing, right? By Trevor. Yeah. Yep. The art of healing by Trevor on Instagram. And if, uh, 
if you can't find the links or whatever, uh, there, the link in my bio, um, you know, right underneath my name and things like that, we'll have the links to the anxious lovers club. Um, and you will also have the link to where you can book like a free consultation. And there I actually talk with you myself for 15 minutes. Um, and we chat about best options, help you get an appointment set up, things like that. I may not be able to take them all myself, uh, in the future, but for now I'm trying to do that. Cause I just really love those calls. They're so fun to talk to everybody. So, um, I will actually talk with you directly for a few minutes and help you get something set up. Perfect. All right, Trevor, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I'm really grateful just that you were able to take that time. I know like life is crazy with like, um, you know, having, uh, a baby on the way. And then, um, you know, we're so sorry about like the grief, just like of losing your, your dog. I know that like animals are just like a part of family. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I can only imagine, but, um, I really appreciate you just taking, taking the time to come on and, and speak. Um, I know I've gained so much, like I've said from this and I'm going to go re-listen to this and take a bunch of notes. So I'm really grateful for you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You have a wonderful day and thanks again.